Uh, We're about to hear uh, God speak in his word, so please join me as we pray and ask God for his help uh, to help us understand. Dear Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you're a God who loves to speak to us, that you show your, your care for us through your word and you bring us words of life, words of salvation. We pray this morning that, uh, that we would listen to you with right hearts, that we would have open ears and open minds and we would be ready and humble to apply your word to our lives. We ask that your spirit would work in us and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, uh, Christmas has come and gone for another year, and with Christmas now behind us and all the gifts unwrapped, I wonder uh, what, has be- what has been your prized object of affection? What have you been glorying in? What from Christmas has been your delight? What caught your eye? Did you get some nice Christmas presents, maybe, under the tree? Are you enamoured by your latest toy, if you're, if you're a child or a youth or a middle-aged man? Are you, uh, maybe, it's, maybe it's not a gift that's captured your imagination. Maybe it was Christmas lunch itself. Did you nail that meal? Did you put on the perfect spread with the perfect set of Instagram photos to match? Is that what's lingering in your mind? Are you still singing the praises of those Christmas delicacies? Like like me and my wife's rocky road, so good. Well, the pork crackling that I had at lunch was amazing. Are you glorying in the food? Or with the new year around the corner, are you already fixing your mind and your heart on how to lose the weight that you put on from all the delicious food that you ate at Christmas? Are you thinking about how to sculpt a glorious summer body in January? What have you been glorying in? What have you been glorying in? Well, it is is good news that God speaks to us in his word because he can correct our minds and our hearts when we glory in the wrong things. And this morning, as we look at Psalm 21, I think we'll see what we should give glory to, what we should give pride of place to, what should be the object of our affection. Over the next few weeks, we'll look at a series of psalms written by King David. And we'll explore the relationship between God and the king and the king's people, God's people Israel. And we'll think about how these psalms apply to us. So let's have a look now at Psalm 21. Let's dive in. Well, firstly, we see that this is a song. This is a song written for the people of Israel to sing. And it's written by King David for the music leader of the people. You can see it at the the first line at the very top of the psalm there. It says... For the director of music, a psalm of David. And we don't know exactly when King David wrote this psalm, but judging by the contents of the song, it's probably any point during his career, any high point during his career, when he stopped to count his blessings and to anticipate what God had in store for his future. This psalm can be divided into two halves. In the first half, David reflects on his present blessings from God. And then in the second half, David anticipates future blessings and victories that God will bring him. So let's have a look at the first half. In verse 1, we see that this song is addressed to God. It's the people singing to God, recounting what God has done for the king. 
Now, our, our NIV Bibles, our translation that we're using here this morning, it refers to God giving the king victories. But in the original Hebrew, this word is simply salvation. Salvation. It could be that the king saved, sorry, that God saved the king in battle, but it doesn't necessarily mean um, military salvation. It could apply to lots of different things. It could be he'd been saved from sickness or disaster or protected from the plots of other people or even protected from himself and his own sin. Whatever the circumstances, God has saved the king. And the king, of course, is elated by this. He is overjoyed. Have a look there in verse 1. Verse 1 of Psalm 21. Verse 1. The king rejoices in your strength, Lord. How great is his joy in the victories you give. Well, literally, in your salvation. How great is his joy. God has been attentive to this chosen king. When the king has asked God for something, God has heard and answered him and generously fulfilled his request. You can see it there in verse 2. Verse 2, you have granted him his heart's desire and have not withheld the request of his lips. God hasn't been stingy. He hasn't held anything back from the king he's appointed. He's gone out of his way to, to bestow good gifts on the king. And as we read on into verse 3, we see the image of a coronation ceremony. A coronation ceremony. You know, you know what a coronation ceremony is? Here's, here's some images from Queen Elizabeth uh, II, her coronation back in 1953. In a coronation, the, the king or the queen is brought in a great procession to the throne. Uh, he or she is met by priests and lords and important people. They're given a glorious crown. It's, it's a huge occasion, a lavish occasion with gold and jewels. There's honoured guests and there's a parade through cheering crowds. It's an image of glory, isn't it? This coronation, it's all to show the majesty, the greatness, the glory of the new monarch. But for the king in this psalm, it's even better because it's not just human lords and important people who are coming to meet him, to crown him. It's God himself who comes to crown the king. God personally meets him. And this image, this coronation, well, it's just a metaphor, again, for salvation. Salvation. By saving the king, God has crowned him. See there in verse 3. Read verse 3 with me. You came to greet him with rich blessings and placed a crown of pure gold on his head. The people sing that God's salvation is like a magnificent coronation. So the king, uh, sorry, uh, God has been so generous and good to the king. He has crowned him by saving him. He has granted his every request. And particular, in particular, let's look on and see what the king really wants. What is his heart's desire? We'll see this in the next verse. What is it the king really wants? Well, his heart's desire is simply life. Life. To be saved from death. And God answers him abundantly. 
in verse 4. He asked you for life. The king asked God for life. And you gave it to him. Length of days, forever and ever. So God has worked to intervene. He's, he's heard the king. He's rescued him and prolonged his life. But what about that bit there that says forever and ever? I mean, we know that King David didn't live forever. Well, it's worth pausing here to note that the way the psalm moves easily from David's present situation to some time in the future, to another king, God's Messiah, who will live forever. But we'll come back to that a little later. For now, see how, how the psalm goes on to praise the king's glory. But note carefully where the king's glory comes from. Because this is the point of this psalm. Where the king's glory comes from. The king's glory comes not from a great army or huge palaces or a pile of gold. His glory doesn't even come from millions of Twitter followers like some of our leaders these days. No, the king's glory comes from being saved by God. That's it. The king's glory comes from being saved by God. His glory is that God's arm has reached out in love to save him. And so at the end of the day, all credit goes not to the king, but to God himself. I mean, God is the, the superhero here in this psalm. Let's keep reading in verse 5. And note again in this verse how the word victory is actually just the word salvation. Verse 5 says, Through the victories you give, or literally in your salvation... His glory is great. You have bestowed on him splendor and majesty. And God is not a distant saviour in this psalm. The king and God are in each other's presence. They are close. God loves the king. The king trusts in God. See there in verse 6 and 7. Surely you have granted him un unending blessings and made him glad with the joy of your presence. For the king trusts in the Lord through the unfailing love of the Most High. He will not be shaken. So, that's the first half of the psalm. The king rejoices because God has saved him. The king is glorious because God has saved him. And in the second half of the psalm, the focus shifts. A little. It shifts from singing to God about what he's done to the people singing to the king about what's going to happen in the future. The people in the second half, they sing to the king about what God and the king are going to do in the future. The psalm paints a picture of future victory and blessings. The future for those who <clears throat> excuse me, the future for those who oppose God is bleak. Those who oppose God and his chosen king, they will be captured. These enemies, they will be utterly defeated. They'll be consumed in fire. They will be dominated, destroyed. There will be no escape. Even their descendants won't escape. All their plots and schemes are destined to fail. This is what's in the future for those who oppose God and his king. 
Let's read this section from verse 8 to 12. Verse 8. Your hand will lay hold on all your enemies. Your right hand will seize your foes. When you appear for battle, you will burn them up as in a blazing furnace. The Lord will swallow them up in his wrath and his fire will consume them. You will destroy their descendants from the earth, their posterity from mankind. Though they plot evil against you and devise wicked schemes, they cannot succeed. You will make them turn their backs when you aim at them with drawn bow. God has saved the king before, hasn't he? And it looks here like he will do it again. God is with him and God's appointed king will be utterly, totally victorious. And so after all of this, after crowning the king with glory through saving him, after showing how in the future he will, he will defeat all his enemies, all that's left to say is God is mighty and great. So the last verse of the psalm, the people call on each other to sing praises to God. See there in verse 13. Be exalted in your strength, Lord. We will sing and praise your might. So that's Psalm 21. The king of Israel rejoices in God's strong arm coming out to save him. The king asks to be saved, to be given life, and God answers him abundantly. And this is the king's glory. The king is glorious because of what God has done for him, because of God's salvation. And so the people confidently sing of their king's future victories. They have a leader they can really glorify, they can really be proud of. So they praise God for his might. So how does this psalm apply to us? How does this psalm apply to us? Well, the first thing to say is, that it is Jesus who is the one who fulfills this psalm. The people of Israel, you see, would have used this psalm not just when King David was alive, but after David died and, and the next king came along. And on and on through the years as kings came and went. But as they sung this psalm in their temple, they should have found the words more and more problematic because the kings got less and less glorious over time. They didn't have utter victory over their enemies, quite the opposite. The history of Israel was one of decline and then exile. The history of the kings of Israel was that they died and were buried. Over and over and over again, they died and were buried, just like King David. So where was this glorious king who would have length of days forever and ever? Where was this glorious king who would vanquish all of his enemies? Well, God's promised king did come, didn't he? About a thousand years after David, David's descendant, Jesus, the ultimate king of God's people, the one who perfectly trusted God. God showed his unfailing love to Jesus. In obedience to God, Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sin, for yours and for mine. But then God saved him from death by raising him from the dead in glory, never to die again. Jesus has length of days forever and ever. 
He reigns in heaven now and will return in the future. You see, Jesus is glorious now and he will be seen as glorious by everyone in the future. Philippians 2 in the New Testament reminds us of this. It says, And being found in appearance as a man, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him, lifted him up, glorified him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And again, in Revelation chapter 5, it says this about the end of history. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honour and glory and power forever and ever. This is talking about Jesus. Jesus is God's glorious king, saved from death to eternal life, glorious now and glorious in his second coming. And that brings us to our second point of application. The second thing to say is, is that this is the best or the worst news for you, depending on where you stand with Jesus, depending on whether you call him your glorious king. Because it's all or nothing with Jesus. If you're not with him, then you're against him. Jesus is God's glorious king who will, who will defeat his enemies, as in the psalm. He will bring utter defeat for everyone who rejects him. As the psalm says, ultimately about Jesus, the Lord will swallow them up in his wrath and his fire will consume them. And we see it too in the New Testament, places like 2 Peter 3 where it says, the present heavens and earth are being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. The future is scary. For those who are against Jesus. You don't want to be in that camp. But for those who trust him, for those who do call him their king, well, they will enjoy eternal life. They will even share in Jesus' glory. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 says this about people who trust in Jesus. It says, God chose you as the first fruits for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit, and through belief in the truth to which he called you through our gospel, so that, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Imagine that. God has bestowed on Jesus splendor and majesty. He's given him length of days forever and ever. And those things can be yours too. In eternal life, you can be splendid and majestic. Not just looking good here and now, but with a new, transformed, resurrected body. You can have length of days forever and ever. You can be free from sin completely, utterly. Salvation can be your glory. So friends, are you, like King David, are you, are you elated by this? Are you overjoyed in your salvation in Jesus? Is it your glory? Or is there something more glorious to you? Is there someone more glorious 
to you than Jesus. We can chase glory in lots of different ways, can't we, here and now? We chase money, achievements, success, glory in those things. Or maybe we look for, for glory in relationships. Maybe a feeling, a feeling like being on top of the world, a glorious feeling, in fact, in relationships. Or do we seek uh, perfection here and now in our bodies? We, we glory in our bodies through pursuing health and fitness and, and beauty. I mean, these are all good things in and of themselves, but they are not the ultimate glory. Even Christmas time, when we celebrate Jesus, well, it can leave us glorying in the stuff of this world. True, lasting glory is not found in anything or anyone else. Nothing else will last forever. So don't look for glory here and now. Don't look for glory in any leader other than the one who was saved from death, never to die again. It's a good reminder for us, isn't it? As we head into the new year this week, as we move into 2019. I don't know if you're someone who makes New Year's resolutions. Uh, I don't have much faith in them myself. That's just my fault probably for not holding to them. Uh, but, but, but the new year is a chance for a fresh start. It is a chance to rethink priorities. I hope that you get some time in January to reflect. Maybe, maybe make some New Year's resolutions. Maybe I should make some decent New Year's resolutions. Here's, here's a couple of suggestions as we finish. How about this for a New Year's resolution? I want to treasure my salvation and I want to rejoice in the glorious future that awaits me. Or how about this one? I want to find my worth and my beauty and my splendour in the fact that God has saved me. He loves me. And so I want to live trusting him. Maybe that would be a helpful resolution for you. Or this. I want to be like the king in the psalm. He rejoices. He is overjoyed because he's in God's presence. He just loves God. Fills him with joy. And can leave the stuff of this world behind. Or last one, maybe this is a resolution that you need. Maybe you need to say, Jesus is the glorious leader I need. This year I will turn to him and follow him, finally. Friends, let's let Psalm 21 reorient our brains and our hearts this new year. Salvation is glorious. That should be our true joy, our true glory. Let's celebrate it. The one who saves us, our King, he is glorious. Let's celebrate him. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that Jesus is a King we can truly call glorious. Thank you that you have made him the Lord of life, raising him from death and giving us eternal life through him. We pray we might praise him and rejoice in the salvation you give us. Please help us to long for the day he returns. Please help us to live in the light of our glorious future, living lives that reflect Jesus' glory. And we pray this in his name. Amen.